0: am dr mary fleming current president of reed scholars and host of our podcast reed scholars live and today i am joined by my friend dr elizabeth dale who is a reconstructive plastic surgeon and assistant professor at the university of cincinnati
1: hi how are you hi mary i'm doing great thank you so much for having
0: me of course how does how does today find you
1: Um, It has been a normal, busy Wednesday, um, uh, which is good, um, but still kind of right, finally wrapping things up on doing some uh, breast reconstruction cases today.
0: Very cool. The the work of a surgeon is never done. Um, So just before we kind of dive in, just for our listeners, as I mentioned, Elizabeth is my friend and we went to medical school together and met in our uh, anatomy lab small group. And so, I, you know, as I was thinking and preparing for the podcast, I was like, you know, I don't know if I would have made it through medical school without this woman. Um, so you were I, just again, just as an aside and thinking about life and, and the course that we've taken. But, um, you know, one of my biggest supporters, like, you know, we made it through because we studied together. Uh, But we also supported each other outside of school, right? So all of our little activities and events that we went to together. So um, just thought I'd take a minute to share and uh, say, I appreciate you. Thank you for that. Um, So then diving in. So since medical school, you have done a lot of things. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your journey, um, why you decided to do surgery and then do plastic surgery and kind of what led you down um, the road to reconstruction.
1: Sure. Yeah. I like to say I took the long road. Um, some people a bit, have a better a bit. have a better, uh, end endpoint than I did. I sort of bumbled my way forward, but I got here. Um, in medical school, I honestly initially thought I was going to be an obstetrician like, like you are.
0: I was um, not going to do that. I was <laughs> like, one thing I will not do, but here we are.
1: <laughs> and here you are. Um, But then as I started doing my third year rotations, I ended up enjoying surgery more. And at the very end of medical school, um, I got the opportunity to do a burn rotation. That's important because before I started medical school, I had spent a year on a um, ship, a hospital ship in West Africa with an organization called Mercy Ships. And while I was on the ship, I had seen people who had had burn injuries and they had horrible scars, Um, very debilitating, very deforming, very disabling scars. So so when I got to do the burn rotation in medical school, I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'm gonna figure out how to fix that. Little did I know that it would be nine more years of training before I actually was able to fix that. And so that was general surgery, fellowship in burn surgery, fellowship in plastic surgery, And that's where I realized I didn't only love burns, I also had a strong interest in uh, the care of a patient with breast cancer. So the two hats that I wear now are as as a burn surgeon, and I do acute and reconstructive burn care, but I also do breast reconstruction. And just to give you a little bit of personal background on the breast reconstruction part, I really didn't think that that's what I... Part of what I would do, because there are a lot of people out there to do breast reconstruction. Um, But um, during medical school, my mom got breast cancer, and that was in the setting of her sister having had breast cancer and several of their cousins having had breast ovarian cancer. And lo and behold, we learned that we were one of a genetic risk cohort, meaning our family has this gene called BRCA2, and that meant that I had a super high risk of getting breast cancer. And I made the decision during my surgical training actually to go ahead and get what are called prophylactic mastectomies, meaning I got my breast removed to keep myself from getting cancer because my lifetime risk of breast cancer otherwise was 85%, which is way too high um, to to play the odds. Um, And that really spurred an interest for me because it gave me a very personal understanding of how devastating it feels when some part of your body has to be removed, um, and what it means for people to be able to restore that to them. And so that is the kind of the turn that brought me to doing breast reconstruction as part of what I do now every day.
0: Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. Um, cause it's a very, very vulnerable place to be, but also, you know undoubtedly allows you to relate to the population in a much more meaningful way um I am super excited that you brought up mercy ships because I think that is an exciting part of your journey and it's an interesting thing that you thought was just going to be not just but was going to be a transformational experience either way but it's really changed the trajectory of your life and I know that was always something that was was super cool about you, and was very fascinating that you uh-huh. were able to do. Um, is that is that program still happening? Can people still? It is.
1: Yeah, they're still. Yeah, I would encourage anybody who thinks they haven't even an inkling of interest in medicine, even if you. I I was on the ship before I even started college, so I didn't have any medical skills, but it just gave me such a more, uh, I think, accurate view of the world because <laughs> we I was living in West Africa, and I saw um, what, what other people suffer in a way that I had never seen here in the United States. And it, it just really opened my eyes and I think, you know, changed my course.
0: Wow. Um, And in thinking kind of back to your journey and um, just for the record, you know, making sure people are very aware of their family history, um, sharing Mm -hmm. that with your uh, providers when you go, um, but also being Willing to be proactive, um, understanding what your risks are, understanding what your options are, um, and kind of going from there. So I think that's important. Um, and and you know to your point, just trying to make a your your best decision for yourself as an individual. So we talk we'll talk a lot about on uh, the podcast around population health and that type of thing and, and what makes sense for the group, but we also know that what your, your decision as an individual is also important. You really want to know what your risks are and talk about that with your provider and and make the best decision for you as an individual. Um, And thinking about that process when, when patients come to see you, so they're at a certain certain stage of their journey by the time they get to you, Um, but help us kind of understand what the branch points are in the decision-making tree um, as far as, you know, will I, do I need surgery? Yes or no? If I need surgery, what kind? And then kind of what happens after that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so the first, the first piece, whenever you get a breast cancer diagnosis is like, how big is it? And how far has it gone? And that determines what the surgeons have to do to an extent. If it's relatively small, Sometimes I don't even get involved because they can take out the tumor and your breast looks just like it always did. And you can kind of go on your way. Um, that's not always the case. So sometimes the size of the tumor relative to your breast size is large, I would say, such that if the, the tumor gets removed, your breast becomes very distorted. Um there are two different ways to handle that. So one way is for me to come after the tumor is removed and do something called an oncoplastic breast reduction. And what that means is instead of you waking up with a breast that looks sort of deformed and funny, Mm. is that I have done some things on the inside and on the outside to rearrange how that tissue sits so that it looks like a pretty breast. Sometimes I have to do like a reduction on the other side to make them look the same. But the goal is that rather than you waking up with a deformity, you wake up looking feminine and you have a nice, pretty breast. There are times that the tumor is too big for even that. So there are times that the tumor is so large or... The doctor says, well, you've actually got three different spots where you have a tumor, or you just have such an aggressive tumor that really the best way to make sure this cancer doesn't come back is for us to remove your entire breast. So that puts us down a whole nother pathway where um, some, some women are very comfortable with having a mastectomy. And, and that's fine, right? Every it, What I'd like to tell all of my patients is that breast reconstruction is not required. It is your choice. Um, and so for many women, rather than saying, great, I don't have to wear a bra again. <laughs> some, some women say that to me. Um, some women say, gosh, this is really, I'm grieving the idea that I'm no longer gonna have my breasts and, and this is so hard for me and that's where i say okay well we can build you a new one and the um in in modern america day there's two main ways that we do that one is with an implant primarily so the the volume of your breast gets replaced with usually a silicone breast implant there's other kind of techniquey things that i do to make sure it looks nice and sits in the right spot and that sort of thing Uh, I don't have to go into the details of that right now. But the other way that we can make a breast is out of your tissue. So uh, we can actually take either maybe some extra tissue from the bottom of your abdomen or the upper part of your backside or the upper part of your back. There's different places in your body that most people, you know, we can take it away without hurting you essentially, and we can create a new breast out of it. and I think everybody just has a different, some people, you know, I recommend one way or the other, depending on their body habits or what have you, but some women have strong feelings about what they want to have done. And so we talk about that and kind of help them make the most informed decision that they can for their reconstructive process.
0: Oh, uh, sounds very complicated. Um, but. <laughs> Um, and I, 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 again, want to underscore the point of everybody's journey is as an individual for some women, um, you know, the breast tissue or their, their body habitus or their shape or whatever, is very attached to their breasts. And for some women, it's not, um, mm-hmm. and to your point, some women are like, i just be done with it and move on. And some women are like, no, I really, this is part of who I am. And I want to be able to keep that. As much as possible. So, don't think there's any. There's not a right answer. um, But you know, was whatever is the best answer for you in that particular time. You know, with um, the technology we have available today, which has come a long way. um, Yeah. And in the past few years, Um, tell me a little bit more about. So, I did say this all sounds very complicated. um, And thinking about the current state of our healthcare system, I'm assuming is, is expensive. Um, And Mm -hmm. I also know that there are segments of our population that don't have the same access to higher level of care as others. So how is there, um, can you speak to how do you deal with people who might be uninsured, underinsured? Uh, We know that Black and brown women often get diagnosed later, so then they're going to show up with higher stages of cancer and then maybe need, to your point, if it's more aggressive Mm -hmm. or bigger at time of diagnosis, may need more... um, involve surgery so and you just shed a little bit of light on how you negotiate that part
1: yeah um i i would say first off what everybody needs to know and it's very important because i think knowledge is power is that the federal government mandated about 20 years ago that if you have to have a mastectomy for the treatment of breast cancer your insurance has to cover your breast reconstruction And I think that some women just don't know that. And I, you know, I work in a big academic health center in Cincinnati and we treat everybody, you know, even our un or underinsured patients, we figure out how to get them under an insurance umbrella when they get a cancer diagnosis and we get them treated. But it is not still today, I think not uncommon in perhaps smaller areas, more rural areas, places where people have more challenges with access to care, that they might have a cancer surgeon, but there may not be an easily accessible reconstructive surgeon. And it I would say, again, sometimes just being offered the consultation to a reconstructive surgeon, it doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think I think women are often underinformed. Um, they perhaps, for example, even in my city, there are hospitals, very high tier hospitals, where their plastic surgeons don't take all insurances, and so I get I get women who come to me because they started their care somewhere else, but then they can't refer them to the plastic surgeon for their reconstruction, and that really is um, it's it's I think it's frustrating for the patient, right? You're are already trying to figure out how to get taken care of, you've got to start all over. Um, and I wish I could fix it. I wish I knew a way to fix it globally. But what I would say is there are surgeons who will take those insurance and there are, there are umbrella health systems who will provide the care that patients need. And I do think sometimes it takes some searching, but you, you can insist to your physician, no, I know that this has to be covered where can you send me so that I can get the reconstruction that I need? Um, because that obviously that's very important.
0: And to follow up with that. So I know the, you know, in an ideal world, these two things will happen. Not simultaneously, but concurrently in the same hospital state, right, or in the same OR. Right. State. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But I know reconstruction can happen later as a separate surgery. Is there a point in which it's too late that you're too far away, or if should you know if somebody listens to this says, "Well, I had my surgery two years ago." I don't know if I'm still a candidate for reconstruction surgery. Like, is there a window that they should be aware of?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, the short answer is no, there's not a window. Meaning if you decide two years later, or five years later, you want reconstruction, your insurance company is still required to cover that reconstruction. Um, I would say that, you know, and these are, these are, I would argue improvements in the quality of care that we provide but that we are able to do probably, to some extent, nicer reconstructions if we can get you right away. Um, But it doesn't mean we cannot make a new breast for you. Um, So yeah, if you're five years down the road and just thinking about it, absolutely. Go seek out a provider.
0: I like it, I like it. That's good to know. Um, We are about running out of time and I know you have other things to do today. Um, I typically like to end um, kind of thinking about the future. Um, you know, we are still in the midst of, uh, of the pandemic and mm-hmm. a lot of, has changed over the course of the year. I think um, as us, you know, professionally, personally, right as we've evolved, but um, trying to think about looking optimistically on what the future holds for us. Um, so what are you looking forward to either professionally or personally? Um, going forward.
1: Hmm. I am looking forward to not having to wear a mask and being able to hug people. (laughs) Um, I feel like I feel like one of the hardest things about this pandemic has been this kind of um, necessary social separation that has just been difficult where you feel and, and, and shake people's hands. Right. I, I just think that personal connection that we've insisted on, you know, so we don't get sick. I get it. But I just I want it to be normal again. I want to be able to shake people's hands and give them a hug and see their whole face when I talk to
0: them. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what I'm looking I know. To. And it's so weird. The people I've met during the pandemic only, especially yeah. at work, because we can go all day right. and work and not yeah. see anybody's whole face. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know what these people look like. I have no idea. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. So. It's weird. Yeah. I, I am I am looking forward to those days. And hopefully. I mean, I know we still have a while to go, but um, hopefully yeah. we'll get to the other side soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you so much. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I appreciate all the knowledge that you shared with us. Um, and you know, and the little part I have played in your journey, I'm very proud of you and all the things that you've been able to do. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Mary. Am I allowed to say that you got me through medical school too? <laughs> <laughs> I, was to in say nashville. I was in nashville recently and i was showing my husband the coffee shops that we used to sit at in the evenings and study at it was like that's where mary and i went there's yeah. where we sat and studied ah uh, yeah i definitely couldn't have gotten through without you thank you yeah, those,
0: those were years i i'm and glad where you we are did now. them together but we don't need to do that again no
1: no no <laughs> agreed agreed
0: All right, my dear. Well, good to see you as always.
1: Great to see you too. Take
0: care. Me too.